0: I'm Madalika Sicker, and this is 52 Weeks, 52 Books, 52 Women, the podcast. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. That rather macabre rhyme is probably familiar to a lot of people in the United States. It actually was fewer than 40 and 41 whacks that killed Lizzie Borden's father and stepmother in that steamy summer of 1892 in Fall River, Massachusetts. But it was a sensational real crime that captured the national attention, perhaps our first mass media coverage of a true crime. Lizzie was acquitted ultimately because nobody believed a woman could commit such a heinous crime. Sarah Schmidt has constructed a retelling of the 48 hours or so around the murders in her debut novel, See What I Have Done. And Sarah joins me now from Melbourne, Australia. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So uh, tell us about the
0: structure of the novel and the retelling and the voices you're using to tell the story.
1: Okay. Well, that's a <laughs> big question to start off. With. I'm not quite sure how to answer. I, I guess the, um, you know, when I first started writing the book, I was very much led by character. And so the first character that kind of came to me was Lizzie. And so once I started kind of getting into her head and, and trying to understand, you know, why someone would be motivated uh, to kill their parents? I soon discovered that um, Lizzie was somebody who was never really going to tell me the truth, and so because of that, I um, I found actually it was quite uh, an amazing way to uh, get a story to unfold um, from a writing perspective, because then you can kind of play around with her, you know, mindset and um, you know the way that she wanted to engage with the truth and uh, you know her own strange reality, and so you know, that kind of led me to bringing other narrators and, and that's kind of how uh, the patchwork of the narrative kind of started and then we got what we have now. So, yeah. Uh,
0: well, you, so the other narrators you bring in are Lizzie's sister, uh, Emma, the yes. uh, rather uh, tired and weary maid, Bridget, and <laughs> this sort of, um, uh, odd rent-a-thug character, Benjamin, who is introduced into the story by the Borden girl's maternal uncle. Um, Now, it's interesting, I sort of think of them as sort of, you know, people know about this story as a Lizzie Borden story. Um, But what is it about peripheral, peripheral characters that you think capture our imagination or captured yours? You know, we've seen novels built out of characters. From beloved books like Pride and Prejudice and Little Women, the sort of stories that we don't know about the people who are in the book. Obviously this is a true story, but you still went for peripheral characters. Why did you want to write
1: about them, not just Lizzie? I think um... I don't know people are endlessly fascinating for me I um I just you know want to spend my entire time you know inside other people's heads and get to know them and you know kind of figure out the way that they they tick and so with a uh, I think with a story uh, such as the Lizzie Borden case I think it's actually quite ripe to have these kind of peripheral characters um, come into the fold a lot more um particularly because it is such a mystery um, and we will never you know, we'll never know what happened. So I think having other people come in giving a different point of view, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, explore the different motivations and really uh, paint a nice picture of perhaps what life might have been like in that household. I think it's just too good not to not to do it. And so, you know, that's <laughs> why I wanted to do it. Um, I also um, you know, when I first started writing the book, I was never really interested in the case or the trial. It was always about the family dynamics. And so because I started with that, um, you know, with that the kernel of that, I I felt like we really should only stay with people in kind of the immediate, into the immediate fold. Right.
0: And, you know, to me, it's a sort of, it's a very interesting sort of psychological uh, construction of the household and the people mm-hmm. there. Uh, I call the book not a who done it, but a why done it. Uh, yes, I do I think you paint a very evocative picture of the feeling and the hot, stifling summer. This house just claustrophobic with the windows never opened. There's kind of a feverish intensity uh, that underlies everything that would probably drive anyone to the edge. Um, what sort of got you thinking about uh, trying to paint it in that way, which I think has been very effective.
1: I think there were a few things. One is I am someone who is naturally drawn to just, uh, I guess, you know, very tactile, you know, kinds of feelings. And anyway, I always kind of think, you uh, know, um, I know it sounds a bit weird to say, but you know, I kind of think in emotion and, you know, a feeling and sense and all that kind of stuff anyway. So that was kind of a natural thing that came to me. But I think once I started uh, researching the case a bit more, you know, they kept going on about the heat and I know, personally, I hate the heat. And so whenever, um, you know, particularly when we get the really hot summers in Australia, I know it makes me feel a little bit slightly on edge. So I kind of wanted to just play up all of these types of things and try to make it as uncomfortable as um possible for the reader because i think the actual subject matter is uncomfortable itself so um i think that's a really great way of kind of just you know highlighting more of the the psychology of everything and
0: right i mean it's the psychology combined with the sort of very base descriptions of the smells the sort of river of blood There's a, you know, the food that they eat because they eat the same, they reheat and eat the same food and stretch it out for a long time. People get food poisoning. There's sort of descriptions of, you know, the sour milk, the dust that sort of clogs everything, their breathing and their pores. Um, I mean, it's so sometimes it's almost a little stomach churning, you know, describing not just the murders and the sort of aftermath of such a violent murder, but just the life that they're living um, and the sort of constraints that they're under. Um, and just talk about the research that went into that in finding out about Fall River in the summer of
1: 1892. Okay, so um, there's a few things. One, just going back to what you were saying, I think, you know, one of the reasons why I really did want to kind of, uh, you know, essentially just concentrate on, the kind of, uh, I guess, the little bits that you find in the house is that, um, you know, when you're living with people, you start noticing so much about them. And so, and, you know, it kind of um, drives you a little bit crazy, I think. So, you know, I, I know when I have lived with housemates, the first thing I start thinking is, oh, why are you breathing? And so, yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> you get so angry with them. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to have that they are so, much against each other but also in tuned in the way that they kind of entwine their lives that their way of the, the way that they smell and they the way that they use their hands just become part of this um hell i guess so um you know that was kind of um yeah, just, I don't know, that was a little tidbit thing, but I'm um, bringing that back into how I did the research. I, um, so I started doing a little bit of research online. There's actually quite a lot of, um, you know, the original trial transcripts are there. So I started reading a bit and, um, you know, I only did that for a little while because I, I really didn't, I, I was more interested in constructing, I guess, a, a different perspective. I didn't quite want to go down the non-fiction road. And right. So, yeah. So I kind of, put that away Um, and I just kept kind of going back to it uh, just to find the little nuggets of gold when I needed to, um, just to kind of give me more of a a sense of who these people could possibly be. So I did that for a few years and then um, I still felt like, you know, after four years of writing the book, still felt like I wasn't really, I, I was missing something. And so that's when I got the genius idea to actually go to Fall River and stay in the in the house which is now a oh break- god <laughs> it was the greatest thing i've ever done uh- <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I stayed in Lizzie's bedroom for a few nights, and um, just being in the house, you know, I had an idea of what the house might be like, um, and particularly the way that I had sort of constructed it. But to actually be there in in the physicality of it was um, one of the most amazing things I've ever done, and it just really kind of let me solidify everything that I wanted wanted to do and kind of ramp it up. So. Um, yeah, I highly but, recommend the stay.
0: <laughs> well, I guess you know that sort of explains how. I mean, the way you describe the characters in the household, they they literally inhabit each other. Um, yeah both sort of both in the physical sense, but also in the psychological uh, sense, and I think that that comes across very effectively. Um, Now, did you learn a lot about these other characters because of the trial coverage like that, that sort of the raw material for finding out about the roles of these other people?
1: Yes and no. I think, you know, one of the things that I uh... I guess that sung more to me when I was reading it, it was just the relationship, um, I guess, between Emma and Lizzie. I find them endlessly fascinating. Um, I find siblings in general quite interesting um, and just the way that they kind of, their dynamic, um, you know, I, I would find things about, you know, from their will and um, just mm-hmm. some of the things that they left to each other and didn't leave to each other, I actually thought that spoke volumes of how they they perhaps really thought about each other so that was um, just the little things like that really um, helped point me in a, in a particular direction but you know someone like Benjamin he, he's a fictional character so I, um, I really kind of had to be quite different with him. Um, he was somebody I was interested in very early on as almost being a, I guess a parallel character with Lizzie in the terms of violence and how people can be shaped by their childhoods and. Right. You know, all that kind of stuff and so i'm really not quite sure where he came from except um i know he definitely came from somewhere very deep inside me so um which is a bit frightening <laughs> to know but you know yeah. i think he yeah he
0: he's an interesting character who sort of seems a little undone uh, without giving too much away for the listeners who haven't read the book yet uh, he seems a little undone by the sort of sheer um Kind of oppressiveness of the household oh. that he has been hired to come and do something in. Um, yeah. I mean, going back to that sibling relationship between uh, Lizzie and her sister Emma, it's so complex. You know, they were both mm-hmm. women, both women in their 30s by that time, single with few prospects of marriage on the horizon. So they already had a pretty kind of, you know, difficult life as a result of being, you know, spinsters. Um, and they have this sort of codependent relationship that I guess you must have learned from reading, like you say, reading the wills and things like that, that you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's really fascinating. You know, on one level, Lizzie is so almost conniving and very level-headed. And then she's just, uh, you know, sort of just unable to manage without her sister.
1: Oh, absolutely! I think you know, um, you know, something I found quite interesting, and I, I kept firmly in my mind as I was writing this was that um, so uh, Emma is a, a good ten years older um, than Lizzie, um, and so she was forty two at the time of the murders. Um, Emma was, and so, you know, when they were much younger, um, their biological mother Sarah died, um, and you know, on um, Sarah's deathbed. Emma essentially told their mother that she would always look after Lizzie. Um and, you know, I I kind of felt that was such an important, um it's such an important, important statement to make in their life, I guess, that a 10-year-old will make this this huge big promise. And she essentially kind of kept it. I mean, they um she was both her sister, her mother, her best friend, right, um, and a nemesis in some way. And so I just I kind of really wanted, you know, I'm an older sister myself. I, um, you know, I don't know what it's like to kind of want to almost raise your younger sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I just, I kind of wanted to um, just play on that a little bit more and see in a fictional sense how far I could kind of play that out and what were the limitations um, of having a, a relationship like that. Um, I, and I just think it would have been, um, oh, I don't know how Emma and Lizzie functioned, really. It seems absolutely awful. It does, but it's it's very compelling.
0: And, you know, for listeners who are going to read the book, you know, that is one of the very effective things, I think, that works in the book, because you get into the heads of this really uh, challenging and unusual relationship between the two sisters. Um, Now, why do you think lizzie borden is such an appealing character and continues to be more than a century after this
1: crime oh that's such a that's a a, que- a question with a lot of parts. i think mainly um let's see well i think partly it's to do with uh going back to the idea of it being a, a complete mystery so i think you know the idea whether she did or didn't do it um is is very appealing and particularly because she was uh, you know quite a wealthy a woman who um, lived a very respectable life, the idea that um, somebody who could, you know, be like that um, would then do something so horrifically violent. Um, I think, you know, especially readers I've spoken to, they they really seem to be into that, the idea that you can never truly know somebody. Um, and so I think, you know, that's definitely got something to go with it. But um, I, I just... For me, I think um, she's just an enigmatic figure, and we can never we can never get to her really. And so I think that's why, you know, in some way that she, um, you know, the idea of her just pervades everything.
0: Yeah, she certainly is uh, compelling. Uh, author Sarah mm-hmm. Schmidt. Her novel is called See What I Have Done. You can read about this and other great books by women at 52weeks52books52women.com and subscribe free to the podcast at all fine purveyors of podcasts. Sarah Schmidt, join me from Melbourne, Australia. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me.